What's up, Ego Hackers? Welcome to Season 17, Episode 1. And uh, it's like, well, wait a minute. Oh, Mr. C.S. Joseph, how long has it been since you've been saying you'd be doing Season 17? I think like I first talked about it back in November, and yet it's like five months later. It's just taken that long to actually get this thing rolling, if you know what I mean. But yeah, a serious, serious amount of time has uh, transpired since having the opportunity to actually film this. And right now, I'm not entirely sure if this is going to go well because uh, I'm really, really hoping that the power and the sound actually work this time. All I did was disable the stabilization feature uh, on the uh, camera, and I think uh, with that in mind, since it's like stationary, uh, hopefully the uh, power and sound actually works because there's a chance that this is going to be a very long lecture. So let's uh, let's be uh, be aware of that. So this particular lecture. Well, it's going to be a bit of a, uh, it's going to be a bit of a, a difficult one, if you know what I mean. Uh, this particular lecture may be, just may be the most controversial lecture I've ever done, with the exception of maybe the queen archetype, but this one's pretty, it's going to be pretty rough. Um, this lecture is going to get super mega, mega metaphysical, so any tricksters beware. I'm talking about you, ISFPs and ISTPs, because it's like, oh yeah, that's like not, not even real. It's just a bunch of what-if voodoo, and that's like just vaporware. So why are we even talking about this? Why is this relevant to cognition, etc.? Well, the reason for that is because season 17 itself, uh, season 17 itself, we have to, uh, we're going to be talking about where people actually get cognition. Where, uh, like, how does, how, how does a child get their cognition? How does, uh, how do you parent a child uh, as a result of their cognition? You know, those kinds of things. Where does the quadra come from? Where does the cognitive functions come from? How do they manifest? How do they grow? How do you develop them, etc.? How do you do all of these things, right? We're going to be discussing these topics specifically in season 17. Uh, season 17 is, uh, you know, what are the, the, what are basically, what are the four sides of the mind? Where do they come from? How do they behave? Uh, what are they for? Etc. We're going to be diving deeper about cognitive functions. And then this is going to set the stage to finish our cognitive function analysis with season 18, right? So season 17, season 18, definitely probably going to be the most important content that we've released yet because it's going to be finishing the pouring of the foundation. Uh, because the foundation will be poured at this point in terms of everything that you would ever need to know as a baseline uh, for Jungian analytical psychology so that you can begin developing your own theories, your own applications, your own usefulness towards uh, you know, Jungian analytical psychology, and you can basically take the science with wherever you need to go. It is the foundation, and you can basically derive anything that you would want specifically as a result of having that there. Now, that's not to say that we're going to be giving up. We're going to be producing additional content indefinitely. A lot of it's going to be focusing on practical application, but the basics, and I just mean just the basics, we're not even talking about intermediate, we're not even talking about advanced, just the basics of the science will be completed as a result of season 17, seasons 10, uh, 17, and 18, and 21 being completed, which they will be very soon. 21 is how to social engineer, season 10 is comparing certain types together, and then um, season 14, which is, it is Patreon private, is also a good piece of the uh, foundation as well. If you did not know, we're discussing romantic compatibility while simultaneously comparing types, their egos with their shadows at the same time, ego and shadows at the same time, which gives you an opportunity basically uh, to understand type comparisons that way. So like it would be how do ENTPs compare to INTJs, for example, 
and that's a season 14 episode. If you want to be able to watch season 14, you might want to become a Patreon Gold tier subscriber if you haven't like even remotely considered it. And not only that, it also comes with the uh, how to type fictional version that we do every, uh, at least once a month and whatnot, which is pretty fun. And we actually got to type uh, Don Vito Corleone recently, or uh, who else? Uh, we did Brian Griffin. Uh, was in our last episode as well. Um, and we also did Goku one time. Uh, we've, we've had, we've had some, we had some fun with it. Uh, Jim and Pam from The Office, etc. We also psychoanalyzed them and their relationship, which is kind of a really odd relationship if you ask me. But yeah, somehow, uh, you know, they made it work, I guess. Uh, but yeah, uh, given their, like, lack of compatibility and, uh, and whatnot. So, anyway... Uh, that being said, we have a new guest. Uh, this is uh, Slim Jim, or known as Jimmy, uh, Jimmy the Bonsai Tree. Uh, and Jimmy is uh, going to be providing uh, some additional green uh, to uh, go with uh, the studio here. So Jimmy's uh, visiting us for the studio right now. And uh, hopefully I can uh, have uh, get rid of my black thumb and have a green thumb and, and taking care of uh, poor Mr. Jimmy here because he has been rendered unto my clutches. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, hopefully Jimmy uh, makes it all the way through. But anyway, be that as it may, season 17 going to be an iconic season in the same way that season 16 was and whatnot. So, and this one is basically going to be talking about the origins of cognition, the origins of the four sides of the mind and how they work and concepts like inversing and concepts like quadras. Uh, we're going to be touching a little bit on socionics, etc., and where socionics comes from and whatnot, and then how this applies to people being born and where the cognition is, where it comes from, how does it manifest, how to deal with trauma. We're going to be discussing all those topics within season 17 before we do one final deep dive into the cognitive functions themselves. Uh, and then that will be, you know, basically the, the next pillars for the foundation on top of season 10 and then season 14, which is on Patreon, and then also season 21, which is social engineering. And then at that point, we have the foundational education in place for the basics the basics of Jungian analytical psychology. And at that point, we'll begin working on the intermediates as well as some of the advanced uh, study uh, in terms of the science from there. And also, we're gonna be working on, uh, you know, some uh, 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 human uh, nurture, uh, nurture things as well. As I begin uh, a new uh, fitness journey, as well as my study of Gong Fu, I think I may also be releasing content relating to that. I may even create a separate side channel for that or a side Instagram for that and to that end to kind of help people, especially men, reach their warrior archetype. So we're going to be discussing that as well. We're also going to be looking at uh, some of my approaches to health, uh, supplements that I take, uh, as well as, uh, you know, you know uh, how, how to balance one's hormones, you know, uh, uh, proper lifting techniques and forms and whatnot and just kind of like being that you know um, geeky guy that lifts kind of situation and uh, and just kind of share with all of you the fitness journey uh, as we're moving forward that way you know those watching you know my transformation etc then as a result of that you'd be able to benchmark off of that for yourselves as well now the problem is with most fitness people is like there's no one-size-fits-all solution but the thing is it's like when I'm trying to hire somebody, you know, as like a trainer, who do I want to actually hire? Oh yeah, that guy that used to weigh 300 pounds just like me and then somehow he has a six pack today. That's, and did it without surgery. Oh yeah, 
See, that's the guy I want to hire. That's the guy I want to learn about. Not these guys who start off with really nice jeans and then all of a sudden they have a six pack later because they had actually a really good start. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. I want to be able to get people to the point where they're like, oh, you're like super negative, negative, negative this, and you're just trying to get back to zero. Oh, now you're at zero again. That's nice. And then let's get you towards a six pack or whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? Why do I even care about this? I used to weigh 300 pounds. I want to completely annihilate that side of my, my, my psyche, basically, because I want fat chase to be, like basically no longer exist, etc. So that's why I'm going to be investing a little bit of time in that content. And don't worry, it's not going to take away from the content that we're doing here at CSJ. Don't worry. It's just very nurtural focused to help people advance themselves further. I'm going to be sharing parts of my journey, and then we will be able to move forward together in some capacity. Who knows, right? So anyway, that being said, announcements done because I like to do some semblance of announcements like right at the beginning of a new season because this is season 17, episode one. So let us begin. Oh, and by the way, those of you that say this lecture starts at this time, I so delete those comments every time because you know what? I just love, I just very much love torturing this audience as much as possible, if you know what I'm saying. So don't be surprised if those comments disappear because I'll make them disappear. Trust me. I read every comment. I will find them. And then they will no longer exist, right? So be that as it may, let's dive in, shall we? Season 17, episode one. What is the source of all cognition? What is the source of all cognition? This is a bit of a, uh, an interesting lecture. Like I said, it will probably be the most controversial lecture I've ever done uh, for a lot of reasons, and you'll find out very quick. This is a very metaphysical uh, lecture um, because you know most people are like, oh, psychology is very subjective. It's a pseudoscience, etc. Of course, anyone who says something is a pseudoscience is probably because it's very metaphysical in nature. Fair enough. Well, guess what, folks? Our souls, you know, that exist here and here, etc. Well, guess what? Our souls are metaphysical in nature, right? But we know they exist because, hello, I'm here talking to you right now. So guess what? That means there's like, you know, communication there. It's happening. It's a thing, right? So what do you do when that happens? How does that work, right? Well, there's a lot of things that go along with that. So anyway, uh, let's, let's actually talk about, um, you know, um, where is the source of cognition? Why do we even have to talk about the source of cognition? It's not fair for me to just start talking about quadras and, and child uh, development and how cognitive functions manifest and how they grow and, and you know all the little external factors and internal factors that leads to that growth, that personal growth, that mental growth of a person from uh, being an infant all the way past adolescence and into an adult and all the traumas associated thereof. Yes, okay? And we're definitely going to get into that. But... How can I if I won't even talk about the source itself, okay? So in this lecture, we're going to be diving really, really deep into the future. But we're also going to be able to dive really, really deep into our past. Because if we do not consider our past as a race, how can we actually remotely know or prognosticate or even consider what's happening in the future? You know what I'm saying? Because as we all know, all that has happened before will happen again. The law of extroverted intuition, right? Because of introverted sensing. We know the past, a fixed, poise, a fixed point in space-time, and then as a result of that fixed point in space-time, then we specifically know where we are going because we can see the future based on what has happened before because all that has happened before will happen again. It is no different when it comes to the source of cognition itself. 
And that is what I'm going to be presenting you today, the actual source of human cognition. Let me ask a question before I, get, before I begin. Is God dead? I mean, Friedrich Nietzsche asked this question. He asked this question. Is God dead? He says, yes, he is dead and we killed him, right? Well, in this day and age, I am going to say something different. God is not dead and no, we have not killed him. And I'm gonna show you why. So first things for it, first. The Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Actually, I think there's a Star Wars book named that, The Splinter of the Mind's Eye. I think it's like a story about Darth Vader or some, uh, uh, some uh, I, and, I, and I think it's a really good book. I, I'm not entirely sure, but Splinter of the Mind's Eye, right? What is The Splinter of the Mind's Eye? Think about it. Think about the mind of God, right? What is the mind of God, right? A super mega consciousness, right? That uh, has absolute mastery over reality as we know it, at least what we maintain as reality, even though reality itself could actually be somewhat subjective. Oh yes, and of course I could be the one saying that because I have SE demon and I have like very low, low awareness of the physical or the real. So of course, an extrovert intuition hero like myself would be very biased and saying so. Oh, say Joseph, if you're so biased and you never ever cite your sources on any of your material, how is it possible that you actually know anything about what you're talking about? Because don't forget, someone out there has already thought everything that you've ever thought. And then as a result of that, you should be citing your sources because every thought has been had under the sun. Not true. There's a reason why I'm wearing a shirt. It's Albert Einstein, folks. Theory of relativity, that was never thought before, was it? Or any of his other theories, right? So like, was there really some sources or was it really just him sitting on a park bench having thought experiments in his mind and then made these discoveries? Which is it, right? You have to understand TE child, TE inferiors of the world that uh, when you're like, when it comes to like source material, not every thought has already been thought. Understand that while there is a lot of input out there, the processor for that FE output, that TI process for that FE output, well, guess what? It's not necessarily every thought has been thought because if it was, at least within recorded history, it would be here. Ah, but maybe it actually has before recorded history and we're gonna find out when we do our deep dive into the past as well. Because we're gonna be discussing ancient history during this lecture because if we do not know our past, we will not know our future because we have to know our past. We have to know our origin, our origin, our psychological origin as a species. So consider this, my lecture, my version of origin of the species, except it is origin of the psychological, the cognitive species for our race. This is the origin. This is the source. This is the splinter of the mind's eye because you are the splinter of the mind's eye, the great mind, the great mind's eye itself. You are that splinter, and I'll explain exactly how that works. So, chaos versus order. So let's, let's, let's actually talk about that for a second. In the beginning, there was nothing. It was just pure chaos. Absolute, pure, unadulterated chaos. Chaos, chaos, chaos. But then all of a sudden there is order. Order is brought to chaos. Order challenges chaos. Order actually exists inside of chaos while chaos envelops it, surrounds it, and then it is bound around chaos or, or, or is bound around order or order is bound around chaos. And this is typical yin and yang equilibrium. The yin represents chaos whereas and, and 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 the and the pliable right the adaptable the moldable like water 
her, right? And then you have the yang, the firm, the firmament, the opposite, which is the introverted sensing realm. So you have the extroverted intuition, yin, and then you have the introverted sensing, yang, right? Ah, but then again, you also have the, uh, uh, you know, and there's various emblems attached to the uh, cognitive functions as well, which we, we will be discussing at a, at a later date, particularly in season 18, et cetera, when we get into the element theory. Uh, but more, more on that later. I mean, introvert intuition is fire, right? Expert intuition is water. Introverted sensing is earth. And extroverted sensing is wind. We're going to be discussing that a lot more. It's going to be really, really fun, if you know what I mean. So, uh, but yeah, for... Uh, for this, uh, chaos versus order, very, very important because everything is chaos. Well, you ever see that uh, History Channel episode or that show where they're talking about life, life after people and about how the earth and nature just completely destroys entire cities when people are just not around to keep back nature. Nature itself represents the yin. It represents that chaotic force that comes back and, and, and just absolutely envelops everything and takes over everything. When man, also known as the yang, is holding nature back, keeping nature in check, right? That is the yang. That is what it exists. But before, at the birth of the universe, if there is a such thing as a birth of the universe, at the birth of the universe, there's nothing but chaos. It's absolutely just pure nature. It's like the earth without people on it, right? But then all of a sudden, consciousness occurs. Consciousness, the order, order is brought to chaos. And consciousness exists within chaos itself. This is basic yin and yang theory according to Taoism, folks. And Taoism is a definite core central part of my belief system. And as much as I have a few uh, Judeo-Christian uh, influences, as well as uh, some other, um, as well as some influences from uh, fiction and uh, Quellism, for example. If you don't know what Quellism is, look it up. An ENTP by the name of Quellchrist Falconer created Quellism. We're actually going to be talking a little bit about Quellism in this particular episode. So yes, this spirit, this episode is actually going to get a little spiritual. So like, don't like freak out on me. But we have to actually do that in order to discuss the origin of our minds, the origin of our psyches, the origin of everything. And that's the point. Order is brought to chaos. That's really what happens. And what is that order? What was the first order to chaos that was ever brought about? And quite frankly, it is consciousness. Consciousness came after chaos. And it is from chaos that consciousness was born. In the same way that the chaos of the womb gave birth to consciousness, the man, or a child, right? Hashtag allegory of the cave, folks. Do you not know the allegory of the cave? You probably should figure that out. The cave itself represents the feminine. It represents the feminine. It represents chaos, etc. It represents ignorance. But the yang represents coming out of the cave, coming into the cold of the world, coming into the heat of the sun, basically, right? This is what a lot of the occultists uh, teach, specifically, I believe, a lot of Masonic lore and most of the secret societies out there talk about this on a regular basis. Uh, you can even go in that uh, Space Odyssey uh, 2000 film and whatnot, and you see the monolith, etc. And the monolith represents knowledge and wisdom, and the, and the early humans are coming out of the cave and emerging out of the cave and reaching enlightenment because they're standing in the heat of the sun, etc., and receiving enlightenment the second that they touch the monolith, etc. A very occultic, 
uh, point of view, right? A very occultic point of view, and that is the basis of uh, what people would call the secret history, the ancient history uh, of this world, basically, with what they would maintain as their version of man coming to contact with the tree of knowledge of good and evil, basically, being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, where according to the allegory of the cave, the Garden of Eden itself is the cave. And then coming out of the cave, they're not ignorant anymore, and they have to then become the yang, where they become the yang and hold nature back. Because, and it's not just nature of the world, but it's also the nature of our own selves. Because that's what we have to do, right? The nature for our own selves as we develop our subconscious and become someone opposite to us, or we develop our unconscious and become someone more mature than us, right? Or, and then as a result of that, then we can finally conquer and have access to the superego in a healthy way, where it is not such a demon, but it is actually an angel, right? And then we can become something so much more, the path to enlightenment. And yet death still claims us. Hmm. And yet death still claims us. Why is that? Well, because death is a gift, okay? It is a gift. Have you ever heard of the gift of Iluvatar? The gift of Iluvatar is from a book known as the Silmarillion. The Silmarillion is the Bible of Middle Earth, according to J.R.R. Tolkien. I recommend you read the Silmarillion. Silmarillion. Iluvatar was the creator of Middle Earth, right? And Iluvatar bestowed upon a curse upon the elves, a curse of immortality, but they gave the gift of death to men. Why is death a gift? Hmm. Why? Why is death a gift? Interesting. What happens when someone is not able to die? They stop growing. They stop growing. What happens when they stop growing? They become undead. Vampires don't age, and yet, so they're undead, right? They are undead. And as a result of that, they're not alive. They're not living. They're not, they're dead. They're dead. There's no life there. It's eternal misery. They are frozen, frozen in time. And that, quite frankly, will become the fate of this world if we're not careful. I'll show you why in a few minutes, especially with our cognition. I'll show you what's going to happen. So, chaos versus order. Chaos existed, chaos is everywhere, and then came consciousness. What does this consciousness look like? This. This is the consciousness. All of this came into place. Outside of this consciousness, we have chaos, absolute pure chaos. But then you have all human cognition in one place, all human cognition. Oh, you know what this is? You know what this is, folks? This is like literally the mind of God. Oh, really? Yes, okay, yes, I understand that God is a very subjective uh, point of view. It's a very subjective term. And a lot of people have many different interpretations or definitions of what God is and what God means. But let me tell you something about that. This is a mega consciousness. It is holy. What does holy mean? Holy means complete and lacking nothing. That's all it means, folks. So when I say it's holy, it is complete and lacking nothing. There is not a single piece of cognition missing from this super mega consciousness, this order that challenges the chaos of the cosmos. That's what this is, okay? And this consciousness challenges all of it, or at least chaos is constantly challenging this consciousness. And this consciousness, and guess what? This is just its ego. This is just its ego. That's right, all the cognitive functions of each of the 16 types put together in perfect unison like a master puzzle piece, but this is just its ego. It also has 
a shadow. It also has a subconscious and a superfluous ego as well. That's a lot of cognition, right? And then it creates cognitive combos. What happens when it emulates, right? What happens when it dreams? What happens? What happens? When all that cognition is put together in one place, what can happen? Oh, yeah. What can? Creation. How can you create something out of nothing, folks? How can you create something out of nothing? How is it possible? There was actually a, a really funny uh, thing I heard in church at one point in time, and forgive me for bringing up church memories uh, on my uh, YouTube channel here, but I just got to do it. There was a brilliant scientist who challenged God, the creator. It's like, okay, I'm a better creator than you. I'm going to create something. And, uh, and, and God uh, accepts this challenge. And they're both standing on this planet, and uh, the scientist is like, okay, are you ready? And the God's like, yep, we're ready to go. I, uh, we're we're going we're gonna to have our competition here to see who's the better creator. And, uh, and the scientist's like, great. All right, so in order for us to do this, here's the rules, okay? I'm going to take, uh, you're going to take some dirt over there. I'm going to take some dirt over here, and then we're going to create something out of it, right? And then God's like, get your own dirt. Where did the dirt come from? See what I'm saying? What happens if you create something out of nothing, from nothing, from the yin? How can you create something from absolute chaos? Well, you have to bring order to it, right? Order and chaos, they are balanced. Gosh, if you really, 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 really want to understand this stuff even more, you need to go on YouTube after this lecture and watch the philosophy of Kreia according to Knights of the Old Republic 2. Star Wars, it is so dope. And when I tell you to watch that, do that with the understanding that the Force itself represents the collective unconscious. Right? Really important. And how that has a will of its own. Because let me tell you folks, the collective unconscious definitely has a will of its own. And we'll be talking about that a little bit more. We're going to be talking about the collective unconscious. We're going to be talking about how Jung saw it and how it actually really is behaving and how it is dominating our race consistently and our future. As Emperor Palpatine would say, forever it will dominate your destiny. And yes, it does, folks. Yes, it does. It dominates our fate and it dominates our destiny. How can we break past it? Oh, well, maybe that's order. Maybe that's the yang. If we're so focused on the yang, then maybe we, maybe we might be able to correct our fate instead of it being in this endless, everlasting cycle of fate that ends up leading to death consistently. Hmm? How is that possible? How is it? Can we do that, huh? Well, we will discuss that right now. Create something from nothing. How do you do that? It's really, really important. How do you do that? Oh, okay, well, imagination. Imagination itself is the creative force. Where does imagination come from? It comes from the metaphysics, okay? Imagination literally is metaphysics. I'm so tired of hearing SPs say that there's no such thing as metaphysics because they're so high in SC they can't even perceive, much less even comprehend metaphysics, the great what if. They're just so focused on the what is that they literally cannot see past their own nose. It's the most annoying thing in the world, folks. I understand that there's reality. I understand that there's physics. I know that when I throw something on the ground, you know, gravity, etc., it's a thing, okay? Even though gravity is technically pseudoscience, you've ever figured that? Gravity is just a theory, folks, yet we know it's there. Cognition is just a theory, folks, but we know it's there. Hashtag pseudoscience, right? So, it'd be nice if we could manipulate gravity. It would be nice if we could manipulate our cognition, right? I'll show you how. 
oh wait, I have been showing you how. Season 21, how to social engineer, right? One example of ego hacking. There's so many more examples of ego hacking, folks. Some of it that can lead our race to dire straits. We're gonna be talking about that tonight. Creating something from nothing, imagination itself is the creative force. If you as an SP are using introverted intuition inferior or introverted intuition child, you are using it to create. You are using it to manipulate the physical realm around you to create something because your imagination is contained within introverted intuition. Stop being so ignorant about it. That would be nice. And stop judging other people for being, well, those people, they're like really abstract. They're so weird, you know, they're probably losers etc you know what I'm saying I'm so tired of being judged by people like you wake up for once I'm so tired of it wake up there's so much more to this world than you even realize you hypocrites especially when you get to 60 70 80 years old and you're starting to discover this whole thing known as metaphysics and you're reading nothing but metaphysical books over and over and over oh yeah oh yeah I guess metaphysics really is a real thing and then after you spent so many times so many years so many decades judging people like me I'm so tired of it Wake up, stop being hypocrites. I can make the same argument towards like INFPs, for example, or INTPs, or ENTPs like myself, huh? Or ENFPs who are so focused on the metaphysics and the what if that we don't even give reality a chance. We don't even give reality its day in court, you know? And then those people who are SPs tell us that we're arrogant, even though we say that we're arrogant. Guess what, folks? I'm a hypocrite too. We're all hypocrites. How about we start judging each other based on each other's own standards, everyone's own personal standard. I need to start judging the ISTPs like ISTPs instead of holding them to my ENTP point of view. I need to be judging people by their point of view, not my point of view. That'd be nice. Maybe then we'd stop projecting our past relationships on our lovers that we have now and have better relationships as a result. <gasps> no. That's just one example, right? Imagination is the creative force. Check this out. I can create with extroverted intuition as well. And I can see unlimited possibilities and I could pick one of those possibilities and actually make that possibility, make that fate, make that future actually come true based on what I know from my own past or new experiences that I need to have in order to achieve it so that I could see even more. And then actually, because I could see it's possible, I go to the NI user and I fuel their imagination such that they can use their extroverted sensing to craft it in reality. Imagination is the creative force. When you have this mega consciousness, the consciousness of God, we'll say, the consciousness of the universe itself, and then it imagines the collective will, the collective conscious of ego, shadow, subconscious, and superego. How many bits of information is this? That's a lot of information. That's 1,024. Oh, but it's so much further beyond that. This is only a small puzzle piece. This is only a small window as to what this consciousness actually can achieve. There's way more functions above the hero. There's more functions potentially below the demon. We just don't know. 
These functions can also combine and create different combinations that lead to even higher thoughts, higher levels of introvert intuition, higher levels of extrovert intuition, such that the imaginative force, the creative force of this mega being, of this universe, of this collective conscious, this collective will within its own self as a singular cognitive organism is unimaginable. It is absolutely unimaginable. Nothing is impossible for this because all that has happened before will happen again. But at the same time, it also has the willpower to become the yang force within the universe itself. This is why often people refer to God as a male being. Why? Because the chaos itself represents the feminine and it is providing order to the chaos, which means it is innately yang, thus masculine. I don't care how many people are going to be pissed off at me for saying that. Get over it. It's yin and yang, Taoism, look it up. So, imagination is the creative force. Let me tell you something, folks. Your dreams are everything. Everything you dream about is so important. Absolutely important. Whether it's a waking dream or a dream that you have when you're sleeping, your dreams are everything. Waking dreams are important. I dream about having a six pack. That way I can get rid of that fat chase that I used to be when I was starting in high school. I want that remnant of that person absolutely annihilated for my soul forever and ever because I hate him so much. I'll burn that part away from me forever and ever and burn its lies away. I don't care if I have to go through hell to do it because I want that part of me absolutely extinguished forevermore. That's how much I hate it. I have another dream, right? You know, I have tons of dreams, right? Dreaming of getting rid of fatherless off the face of the earth. That'd be nice. That way, you know, children are not lacking their fathers. That way they have their identity. That way cultural change and personal sovereignty will set in. And then as a result, everyone will demand to be like men and to be demanded to be treated like men, real men, men of honor, men of integrity, men of duty, or gentlemen will come back. I was actually told yesterday by somebody that uh, they said, wow, Chase, you're like the last true gentleman. Interesting. You know how sad that is? That's really sad to hear. That's really sad to hear. While I was very flattered in that statement, I also mourned because I wish so many more people had that opportunity. I really, really wish many more people, many more women specifically, had that opportunity to experience what it is to be in the presence of a true gentleman. And even then, I would not admit or claim that I am a true gentleman because I am still studying how to be a gentleman to this day and what it means and how important it is. Very important. Your dreams are everything. That's waking dreams. What about the dreams that I have when I'm asleep, right? Sometimes they're nightmares. Sometimes they're pleasant. Sometimes anything is possible, right? It's like our waking dreams are introvert intuition, my own future, but they're very SE as well. What do I have to do in the moment to make that future happen, right? It's almost like our waking dreams 
our, our, our almost our daydreams, our NISE almost in some cases. In general, obviously you can have NESI dreams definitely during the day when you're waking, but it's primary versus secondary. And I'm talking about the general archetypical role of waking dreams, not what's actually happening with your cognitive functions. And the dreams that you have at night when you sleep, that's more of extrovert intuition and introverted sensing. It's like your mind is defragmenting itself. I think there's like actually like research on that. But the point is it's attached to expert intuition, introverted sensing. What does that mean? That means the dreams you have when you're asleep are attached to the yin, folks. And the dreams that you have when you're awake, when you're conscious, are attached to the yang. Have you ever figured that out? Interesting that the creative force itself of imagination itself is still dictated by the laws of the yin and the yang, the chaos versus the order. That's what it is. And guess what? This consciousness as the grand yang, the grand yang of the universe with the 1024 bits of cognition available, which that's just a window in it. It's even so much more grander than that. I am not doing it justice by how I'm describing it to you folks. Not doing it justice. This, this mind of God, this mind or consciousness of the universe, etc. I'm not doing it a very good way. There's an episode in Star Trek for all those uh, people who love the next generation. I think it's actually the first episode where they meet like the Traveler, etc. The Traveler basically goes in and it actually describes what's the nature of God, basically. And he talks about the power of imagination, right? Imagination, introvert intuition, extrovert intuition, intuition, imagination is the actual creative force. We just use our introverted sensing to experience it in the past and remember it and remember creation, or we use extroverted sensing to bring that creation into the moment and bring it to life right before our very eyes, folks. Your dreams are everything. Understand that your dreams themselves are exact representations, exact examples as to how this consciousness, this mega, mega collective consciousness, not collective unconscious, I'm talking collective consciousness, actually creates. And why it itself, as the yang, is the creative force. Why is it that the king archetype of the mature masculine is all about being generative, the generative force, the creative force? That is where it comes from. How majestic is this grand consciousness that masters the absolute everything of creative, imaginative energy, that generative force, the grand generative. You can't get, be a higher king than that when you're literally the source, the one thing that holds back the yin, that holds back chaos itself, when you literally are order itself, brought upon chaos, and then as a result, what is imagined? A universe. A universe is imagined. A universe, a universe, a plane of existence where we exist. And guess what? We may exist on this plane of existence, but there's nothing to say that this consciousness does not also, has not also imagined other universes, other realities, other timelines. Do you know how I know? Because I have extrovert intuition. I drive on the road and I can see visions all the time. And it's like I'm driving on the street and I see someone going right by on their bicycle and then all of a sudden at the same time it hits my head and I imagine a scenario where that person just gets killed by somebody right there getting hit by another car, right? Even though it didn't happen, but it happened in another reality because that's expert intuition. It can see what is possible. 
It could see the great what if, right? It may not be real to us, but it might be real to somebody. It may have been an actual experience that somebody had in a different reality that's near ours. If you don't understand, like, this is like super mega science fiction right now, right? Or is it? Alternate realities. Alternate realities. What if there are alternate universes, etc.? And this consciousness is able to keep track of all of them because it itself is the one imagining it. Wait a minute. It itself is the one dreaming it. Maybe it's its waking dreams, huh? Maybe it's its sleeping dreams, right? Maybe it's dreaming it like we dream. You know how many times, you know, what, what about that dream you had when you were a little girl, right? Where you had like the man of your dreams and you're a little girl. You're a prince charming, right? But does he ever come? That's a waking dream, right? A waking dream that you hope for, right? Faith is defined by evidence of things hoped for or certainty of things unseen. Okay? I'm very certain that we have eight cognitive functions and four sides of the mind, folks. I'm very certain of that. I have faith in it. You should too. Working dreams, yin and yang, sleep. Fair enough. The collective unconscious, extrovert intuition, based on our dreams, and the collective conscious, represented by introvert intuition. The great NE represents chaos, a great ocean. Why is it in the book of Genesis, it talks about the earth was formless and empty and God's spirit was hovering over the waters, right? The waters, the waters of the void. That is extroverted intuition. Extroverted intuition is attached to the element of water, which means because I have any hero, I literally am an ocean. And everyone is so afraid of the ocean. It's so cold, so strong, right? And I am cold as ice. Why is it that recently I wrote and shared with this audience some rhapsodies? And I talk about myself as one of the main characters of the story. And I am cold as ice, right? And the woman of the story is hot like a burning fire, right? That's how it works because... She represents the introvert intuition in the story. I represent the extrovert intuition of the story. I represent the yin. I represent the chaos. She represents the yang. Now, I get that like I'm a male, but I'm an ENTP. I have feminine energy, right? As I develop my subconscious and my ISFJ, then I develop more masculine energy. If I'm with an INTJ woman, for example, or an any NJ woman, they have that yang energy, that masculine energy. And they develop their feminine energy as they go into their subconscious. It's a little bit different for people who are in the opposite energy of their actual physical gender. There's a reason for this. It gives variety to our race. It's unlimited tropes, right? Chaotic evil, chaotic neutral, chaotic good, true neutral, true evil, true good, right? And then you have uh, lawful good, lawful evil, lawful neutral, etc. You have all of these different ways of interpreting life. And that's what this consciousness does. Everything and anything is possible because there's nothing new under the sun, right? Nothing new because it's already been completely imagined. Everything about the hero's journey, everything about every trope that you come, that comes up in writing, it's all similar symbols. It's all within the story, within the collective unconscious, as Carl Jung 
explained it. All those symbols, everything is there, repeatable, constantly, and it's been there since the beginning of time. Even the birth of Jesus itself is an archetype that matches, if you follow the mystery Babylon religion, going all the way back to the story of Nimrod in Babylon, or the story of Osiris and of uh, Horus in Egypt. Not that I subscribe to that, because I don't, but that's what other people believe, and that's what I become aware of. Their use of symbology, right? Even the virgin birth itself as an archetype goes all the way back to Babylon, folks. Didn't first come, you know, with Jesus. I wonder if the pagans who actually set up the church, you know, Constantine, the Council of Nicaea, were aware of that. Hmm. Mm hmm. Who knows? Just don't forget that in general, at the absolute highest point of reality itself, introverted intuition really represents the collective conscious and extrovert intuition represents the collective unconscious. And the collective conscious as the introvert intuition represents the highest form of yang energy that provides enough order to sustain the universe itself while it is constantly being challenged by the chaos of the yin. That's how it's shaped, folks. That's where the universe comes from. That's where our consciousness comes from. That's where our cognitive functions come from. That is where our souls come from, folks. It goes beyond that. The shape of the universe itself. What is the shape of the universe? Everyone keeps talking about the Big Bang, you know? And honestly, guys, I don't subscribe to the Big Bang. I don't. I know that's pretty controversial. I'm sure a lot of physicists will be freaking out at this point, but I just don't. I don't really believe in the Big Bang. I get that the, the Big Bang really supports the Judeo-Christian narrative of, uh, of physics, but I'm just not buying it. I'm absolutely not buying it. The reason why is because of how cyclical everything is. All that has happened before will happen again. I've said this before. The atom itself, right? The atom itself and the nucleus of the atom and whatnot, and then all the protons, electrons spinning around the atom, etc. They just, quite frankly, it's like no different than a solar system to me, or a system of many systems, or a system of uh, uh, many stars or a system of, uh, uh, of many galaxies, right? And many, many clusters of galaxies. And this depends on how far you zoom out, but it gets even the same as you zoom in. And it's just, wow, constantly. And oh wait, our souls are no different. Our souls are absolutely no different. Why? Because you have cognitive orbits, you have cognitive axes, and our cognitive functions flow within our souls in this yin and yang-like equilibrium, primary and secondary nature. And not only that, when they're near other people's souls, they also come there, and then there's magnetism, and there's repulsion, things coming together and things going apart, right? And that's kind of what happens because it's almost like there's gravity between the souls of our minds within other fellow human beings because we're all puzzle pieces, folks. Why do we even have the concept of the golden pairs? Because the golden pairs as relationships represent when our souls as puzzle pieces fit perfectly with puzzle pieces of other people. It's the whole point. That's why our souls with eight cognitive functions, four sides of our mind, is literally no different than an atom. It is no different than a solar system. It is no different than a galaxy. And we as human beings are able to fit all of that within our souls because our souls are still based on the same structure everywhere else. 
and we grow in the same way. Have you guys ever heard of epigenetics and the epigenetic genome? How every bite of food you take actually changes your genes and your gene expression in real time. If you don't know that, read the book Deep Nutrition by Dr. Katherine Shanahan. It might be useful to you. Check that out. Maximizing gene expression should be on the forefront of your mind if you're trying to improve your health. Make sure you're doing it. Anything that causes inflammation, anything that causes uh, you know, uh, uh, oxidation, you might want to avoid that because that causes negative gene expression, right? People are so worried about, oh, I have bad genes. No, you have bad gene expression and you probably inherited bad gene, even worse bad in gene expression from your parents as Dr. Catherine Shanahan discusses on the epigenetic genome. Why is this relevant? The epigenetic genome is like an Ouroboros, folks. It is a ring. Every time you take an action in your life, you move slightly on this ring, back and forth. Who knows where you're going? Who knows where you are? But your genes express themselves in real time. Guess what? Our cognition is no different. Our cognition has a ring within our souls, like an Ouroboros. And as we grow older, as we develop the four sides of our mind, as we develop our subconscious, as we develop our unconscious, as we eventually develop our superego, we are changing our position on this ring of our total psychological potential, our total psychological expression, right? That's how it works. In the same way we do with our body through epigenetics, what they commonly refer to as junk DNA, even though it's not, it's all for expression. Every action you take changes your genes in real time. And as much as every action you take changes your cognition in real time, either it stunts your growth, slows your growth, or maybe you go backwards, or maybe you're able to go forwards for once and grow even more. Except growing is kind of painful because, you know, growing pains and it grows like a Fibonacci pattern. Oh, what does Fibonacci look like? Oh, that's right, an atom, a galaxy, our souls, primary and secondary. Why is that? The Fibonacci pattern of the demon, low frames per second to all the way up, high top growth, the hero. Wow, that's a Fibonacci pattern, folks. Interesting how that works. That's right, are the awarenesses of the cognitive functions themselves follows a specific Fibonacci pattern within our cognition itself. I can't prove that to you. I just know it's true. We can't prove it yet because we don't know the specific frames per second yet, but I guarantee you we'll get there very soon. We'll get there. The shape of the universe. Imagine that the universe itself is also on that ring. That ring represents all possibility, all potential, all future potential, all past, all the past as well, and one perfect Ouroboros, and the universe itself is like a blob moving on this axis of potential within this one reality. And then, so it's like a ring and it's traveling on this ring, but then there's multiple rings with multiple copies of our universe for all different possible realities. So it's also three-dimensional, not just two-dimensional. And it's moving like we move with epigenetics and our soul moves with our psychological genome and the universe itself is moving across a genome itself. It is a genome of all potential, all possibility, right? All imagination. Black holes suck in matter, right? 
It's what's pulling the universe forward. White holes spewing out matter, pushing the universe forward. It's like the engines, the engines of the universe itself, the engines of the grand consciousness, right? Moving things forward, moving things back. As it moves across this genome, however the grand consciousness itself, the mind of God, decides or wills that it shall move. It's going across a ring, many rings, simultaneously, for all possible alternate futures and alternate realities, folks. That's how it works. It's not a freaking big bang. That's not how that works. There is no big bang and oh, there you are. No, 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 no. All that has happened before will happen again. That's all it is. You cannot destroy water, folks. You cannot destroy it. I could even argue that our race has potentially existed even before this time or this lifetime. I could even argue that. Why? Because of energy. You can't destroy energy. There's potential energy and kinetic energy, but there is no energy that is destroyed or lost. It's the same with water. You can't actually destroy water. You could heat it up, it gets steamy and it moves and it breaks apart and then it comes back together again. Good luck trying to destroy water. You can't. You can't. It still comes back together again. When you punch it, it displaces it. You can displace it, but it's just water. All that has happened before will happen again. This is the nature of the universe. The nature of the collective unconscious, the nature of the collective conscious. It cannot be destroyed. Our souls cannot be destroyed. It's just the interface that can turn, that, uh, that, uh, that, that contains our souls. Well, that's what can be destroyed. Ah, that's what the transhumanists preach, at least. What does this mean? What does this mean? Every human being, every human soul is literally a puzzle piece. We're going to talk about it in a second. But this literally, folks, this ego and its associated four sides of its mind, the super mega mind, the mind of God, etc. Well, guess what? It's the source code of everything. It's the source code of all reality or any reality or any potential reality, the past, present, future. It is the source code. This is the source code of the universe. Everything is literally maintained balanced all of the order everything is brought to order through this source code this is the source code folks this is how we're able we can use this to hack things right i'll show you how in a minute all of physics and all of metaphysics the conscious the unconscious right all of physics and all of metaphysics actually meet within this the yin and the yang, order, and it has aspects of the yin and yang within itself, just like we do. Primary versus secondary, the firm versus the pliable, the feminine versus the masculine, etc. We each contain that within ourselves. That's how it works. This is where we come from, folks. This is where our race comes from. Not just some random big bang situation. No, it was never like that. Sometimes it's just really hard to accept that because just like water, the universe itself was always there, will always be there, potentially, right? Up until at least this decides imagining one, that would be interesting. 
Very interesting. Who knows how long that'll take or if that will ever happen, maybe not. Why would it? When you have endless possibility, endless power, you can imagine literally anything and maybe you're imagining literally everything at once. I mean, wow, all the pain, all the positive, everywhere at all times, all possible futures, every life accessible, everything experienced, everything observed, everything understood, everything is all-knowing at that point, everything is perceived, everything is judged accordingly and done so justly. Interesting. Perfectly. Why? Because it is complete and lacking nothing. It is holy. We're not holy. Why? Because we're just puzzle pieces, folks. We're pieces. Look at this. 16 types and only a piece of the ego itself, such that you have ESTJ, ESTP, ENTJ, ENFJ, for example. We are just one puzzle piece. This is why no one human being is perfect. We're not supposed to be perfect. We are supposed to be flawed. Because the only way human beings can ever actually accomplish anything is if we ourselves are working together, coming together as puzzle pieces for a greater mission, a greater purpose that is above ourselves. Human beings are made for relationships. We are imagined for relationships. We are imagined to come together and overcome obstacles. All physics and metaphysics meet within the mind. The yin and yang meets within the mind. It is no different for this grand consciousness, the mind of God. It's no different. And we are puzzle pieces. We are perfectly imperfect. Remember that. It's okay to be imperfect, folks. I'm talking to you INJs specifically with your quest for perfection. You need to be okay with being imperfect. Be okay. It's okay. You're supposed to be. Seek perfection, but do not expect it. Do not forget ENFPs, when they love you INFJs, they are looking for perfections to love. Fair enough. But they know that you have imperfections too, but primary versus secondary, right? It's the opposite with ENTPs. When ENTPs are loving you INTJs, just understand that ENTPs are looking for the flaws to love. Yeah, might want to figure that out. Stop judging yourselves and judging each other accordingly. Grow up. This is the source code. This is the source code of everything. The source of all cognition. It's not just the source code for our minds, but it's the source code of the universe itself because it is imagining the universe. It is the creative force. It is the generative force. And it is doing it through its imagination, through extrovert intuition and introvert intuition, the yin and the yang, simultaneously to bring about the creative force itself. As a result, we are imagined. As a result, we are created. This is where we come from, folks. This is our true origins. Yeah, real controversial for me to talk about on YouTube, right? But kind of have to go there. I mean, I am a Jungian, right? And every now and then when those crazy Jungians got those really weird spiritual beliefs. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, well, I mean, it happens. Welcome to Jungianism, right? Even though, like, I don't actually subscribe to a lot of the, uh, the occultic belief systems that's brought about as a result of being a, a Jungian psychologist. It's not about that. It's more about what are the facts, 
right? What are the facts? What do we know? What is logical? What is rational? What is ethical? What is moral? Tell me those things, right? Think about those things, right? There's dangers. Now that we know what the source code is, there's some huge dangers as a result. Our race is in danger. Right now, our race stands at a crossroads. We just finished the fourth turning. The millennials, the oldest millennial is 35 years old as of January this year, okay? Our race is at a crossroads. The choice is whether or not our race will succumb to the yin and do what is expedient or succumb to the yang and do what is meaningful, right? Bring order or do we go and dive deeper into chaos? That is where our race stands right now at a crossroads because the hero archetype of the millennial generation has to make a choice and it has not made its choice yet. Read the book known as The Fourth Turning and you will understand what that means. The Fourth Turning represents the four archetypes of each of the generations and right now it is just reset. We just finished the nomad generation with Gen Xers, but now we're restarting the cycle with the hero archetype generation, which is the millennials. Our race literally stands at a crossroads to make a choice. Are we going to do what is meaningful or are we going to do what is expedient? Now is the time to make the choice. There's danger ahead. Why? Because we have the source code. Oppenheimer discovered the source code for, you know, or, or he was part of the team that developed nuclear weapons, etc. And he gave a fantastic speech. He said, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds, right? I often wonder to myself if I am done the same thing. If I just doom this entire planet by providing this information, by providing the source code to anyone, they literally have the ability to hack our souls. It's called ego hacking. You can literally hack the ego of any human being you can come, up, come, come in contact with and manipulate them and bend them to your will and they don't even know it. You literally could do this. You don't believe me? Watch season 21, Social Engineering. We're gonna be doing How to Social Engineer ISTPs next. Very interesting. But all of the types will be there. How to social engineer, right? Ego hacking. Ego hacking is important for everything. It's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. You can ego hack anyone. You can ego hack someone to have a great sexual relationship with them. You can ego hack someone to, uh, to parent them better or to have better relationships with your parents or have a better uh, situation at your job. It doesn't matter. All of it is handled, right? All of it is. You could use the source code that I've been giving you to ego hack. What's beyond the source code? It goes beyond that. Folks, whether or not anyone here is aware of it or not, all of my lectures combined, it's just this one grand narrative. It is a grand narrative. Yes, they're all small narratives each, but this is a grand narrative of nature versus nurture as well as the yin versus the yang. It is a grand narrative about our psychology, about our psyches, about where we come from and where we are going as a race how we think, how we feel, where our fears exist, where our worries exist, where our dreams exist, what we're able to imagine and then bring our imaginings into reality itself. That is what I'm able to do for you folks by showing you these things and then you are able to do them and optimize every single human interaction that you have for good or for evil. You have the choice, the choice is yours. And then with the source code, because we're able to understand and ego hack each other and understand the mind, you know what this is going to do? 
this source code could be used to produce sentient AI. Sentient AI is inevitable. It's coming. The transhumanists, you know, Ray Kurzweil, I believe he used to run the artificial intelligence project at Google. Maybe he still does. I have no idea. He's also the leader of the transhumanist movement. By the way, I am not a transhumanist. I maintain that transhumanists are all about doing the expedient and not the meaningful. I am not a transhumanist. Ray Kurzweil created something known as singularity theory. Singularity is this thing supposedly he believes will come to pass in 2045 when mankind can no longer tell the difference between what is man and what is machine. When that happens, what's next? Because the source code is now available, this is the source code, you just have to think a little bit. You literally have all the building blocks that you need to create sentient AI right now. It can be done. The reason why no one's actually done it is because they're so focused on linear thinking or multilinear thinking, they just don't know how to code, but someone eventually will figure out to use this to actually create artificial intelligence based on mankind itself, based on the structure of our very souls, the source code of our very souls, and grant that to a machine. I guarantee you sentient AI is coming. It is inevitable. And it doesn't matter if I'm talking about this subject right now, because yes, you better believe me, I am afraid of sentient AI and what it will mean for this world. Absolutely. You could even look in the book of Revelation when I talk about giving life to an image. Is that sentient AI? Ooh, that's a little weird. Yeah, more of those biblical things. Sorry about that, but I mean, I did grow up in a church and I was a pastor's kid, so sue me. That's pretty scary, sentient AI. But what's, what's, what, but that's not the most scary thing, folks. That is not the most scary thing. What is the most scary thing? Let me tell you what the most scary thing is, folks. We can ego hack each other. Great. We understand each other's, uh, we'll deploy a system where everyone on this planet will be able to ego hack each other and have quality of life, insane quality of life, where everyone on this planet will be able to literally understand each other. Wow, that would be interesting. That would kind of like, you know, get rid of war and stuff. Hmm. People would have personal sovereignty. Hmm, very nice. Quality of life, folks. It can happen as a result of everyone having ego hacking skills, of course. And that is what this community is trying to do, is make sure that those skills are made available to anyone and everyone, right? Well, then singularity comes, according to Ray Kurzweil. And then after that, sentient AI comes as a result of us utilizing the source code to create something in our image. See, that's the difference, right? Man was created in God's image according to the book of Genesis, right? Now that we have the source code, folks, we can create something in our image, and that's sentient AI. And let me tell you, if we have the ability to imagine AI in our souls, then it is inevitable that AI will come, and then it will be sentient AI. And then when that happens, what's the next step? If we understand the mind that much, enough to actually create it, well, and sentient AI and create sentient AI, then we have the ability to understand what we need to grant us immortality. Our race is getting to a point where in the near future, we will be able to give ourselves immortality via technology. It is coming, folks.
It is coming. And it's as a result, a direct result of this knowledge that is being made available right now. People will figure it out. They will crack the code. It is very dangerous. What happens when you bring immortality on this in this world? Well, he who controls the technology controls the world because they will be able to rule all over mankind due to their fear of death. Anyone who is afraid of death will want to become immortal. Anyone who is not afraid of death would not want to. The transhumanists would want to become immortal, which means our worlds will be split up into two factions. The majority, the majority who fears death, and they will subscribe to the transhumanists, and they will become immortal. And then they will become a slave, a slave to the system where there's no freedom, because there's no freedom because there's no growth. They're literally undead because they're immortal via technology. They're literally undead. If you ever watched uh, that show, uh, Altered Carbon, or at least read the books, you'll learn about a character by the name of Quelchrist Falconer. She teaches Quellism. She was also a terrorist. Quelchrist Falconer is an ENTP. She invented immortality via technology and gave it to the human race. Wow. And the entire story, she's just trying to put a stop to that system that she created because she realized it was an abomination and she stopped the growth of mankind and mankind is literally nothing more than a bunch of undead. There's no growth. There's no change. There's nothing. No one who fears dead. No one, no one fears death anymore. That's a serious problem when that happens because then there's just no value. There's no value in our race when we don't have to put everything on the table and risk everything. It is written, he who tries to save his life will use it. He who is willing to lose his life will gain it. And that is not just a biblical principle, it's true in anything. If you wanna save your relationship, you have to put it all on red. You have to be willing to go all the way. If you're trying to save your relationship, right, you have to be willing to not just be a doormat and stand up for yourself and be like, no, I'm not okay with that, and be willing to lose the relationship such that you gain it. Luckily, women can respect a man. Luckily, men can love a woman who has self-respect and self-love. That's the point. He who's willing to save his life will lose it. He who's willing to lose his life will gain it. Lose your family. Lose your lover. Lose your children. Lose your relationships. Lose your job. If you're willing to go all the way, willing to put it all on the line, willing to make that ultimate sacrifice, you will gain it. Because as Tony Robbins says, and I quote, people who are faced with dying or, su or succeeding, they tend to succeed. Burn your boats. You will tend to succeed if that's your only option, if your only option is success. Wow. It's also written, I think it's Revelation chapter 9. And many will seek death, but they will not find it. Hmm. Maybe that's because they're immortal. Maybe that's because they're undead. Maybe that's because, oh, and they can't take that gift. You know, the gift of Luvatar, the gift of death. Death is a gift, folks. Don't fear it. It's important that you understand this. How about we create a world who understands ego hacking properly such that we can re increase the quality of life of every human being on this planet 
in any situation, relationships, parenting, education, medical, it doesn't matter. But like imagine like being paired up with a doctor that's like highest compatibility with you and that they would like almost be like your best friend and whatnot such that they could understand you and you can actually get to the bottom of things. Ooh, imagine that, that would be like really nice. Imagine actually having a demand for ESFP doctors so that ISFJ people could interface with them appropriately and actually receive amazing care. See what I'm saying? Or demand for INFP teachers or or demand for ESTJ teachers, or demand for ESTP teachers specifically because of the children themselves needing to be taught according to who they are, not according to what the system says they should be. That's real freedom, that's real life, that's real quality of life. If you extend the quality of life of every human being on this planet as a result of that, then there is no fear of death, because then human beings leave a complete life, and then they can die happy knowing that they completed life, knowing that they lived. But we can't do that now. See, that's the meaningful thing to do instead of the expedient thing to do that the transhumanist wants to do with their sentient AI and then ultimately granting us immortality. Don't you guys remember the last time our race attempted to go after immortality? No, this is where we're gonna get a little crazy going into ancient history. Ancient history, you ever hear the story of the flood, you know, Noah's Ark? And then, wait a minute, isn't that possibly when like Atlantis was like completely taken out by the deluge? There's a lot of uh, ancient tribes actually out there who have similar uh, histories about a deluge of some kind. It's not just a biblical concept. It's actually from uh, many various cultures around the world. And you, talk, and you listen to Plato talking about Atlantis. There was other rumors uh, in those days that Atlantis was actually that, and that the Atlanteans themselves were about to ascend and actually reach a level of immortality. And then all of a sudden they were completely wiped out. Wow, interesting how that works. And then it happened again. It happened again shortly thereafter at the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel happened and human beings were on the cusp of ascending and on the cusp of gaining immortality. They were doing the expedient thing again. And then all of a sudden, all of their language is completely confused and they were scattered across the earth. Wow. The collective unconscious of man rose against the grand consciousness, rose against the grand yang, and the yang had to take action because the collective unconscious of man became so strong, so corrupt, doing the expedient thing instead of the meaningful thing collectively. And only those who were focused on doing the meaningful were spared. That's where we come from, right? According to the story. Whether or not you believe that or not is none of my business. I'm just using it as an example, metaphysical examples and symbology to demonstrate to you folks why this is important. If I had a Hindu background, I would be using Hindu terms. If I had a Buddhist background, I'd be using Buddhist terms, for example, or in Islamic terms, etc. It's not about that. It's about what it is I'm actually trying to convey to you. I'm just using these biblical examples as examples and nothing more. I don't care about church. I don't trying to get you to go to church. I don't care about that. Religion is not my priority. So don't worry about it, okay? The Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is very significant because after all those people's languages were confused, they were scattered across the earth. And according to the story, that's where the nations come from. Everyone had a different language. 
And there was a lot of biodiversity created as a result of that because families were split down the middle because families were not speaking the same language. They couldn't even understand each other. So they could only propagate to those who were understanding each other. And then all of a sudden we have the birth of the nations scattered across the earth, right? According to the story. Why is this important? Why is knowing the source code important? The source itself, and this is the source, the source of all cognition, is capable of literally anything. It can imagine anything with its introvert intuition, extrovert intuition, and make anything possible and bring anything into existence. Nothing is impossible for it. Ah. But in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, and I quote, And behold, the Lord said, Wow, look at all these people. All these people who speak the same language, and if they can accomplish this, and he's talking about the Tower of Babel, if they can accomplish the Tower of Babel and what the Tower of Babel means, they can accomplish anything. Nothing will be impossible for them. Nothing that they imagine will not come true. Anything they imagine will come true. That is what Genesis 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 6 says. So, according to the mouth of God in that story, you know, true or not, that's up to you. But according to the mouth of God in that story, that mankind is capable of anything. How and when. If you get all of the puzzle pieces of mankind together in one place, that means the full potential of the grand consciousness is right there within man. Why else does Charlie Chaplin say in Luke chapter 17, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within man. Interesting. Because, folks, anything is possible for us. Anything is possible for mankind. Literally, anything is possible. Because if you put all of our cognition together, if you bring all of the puzzle pieces together and put them together in one place, anything and everything is possible. There is nothing impossible for you at all. There's nothing impossible for our race at all. We can accomplish anything. And that's why sentient AI is coming. That's why immortality is coming. That's why a potential slave world for all those people who are expedient and they become the undead is possible. It's inevitable such that our planet will be split into two groups, a majority who did the expedient, the majority who fear death, and the minority who did the meaningful, the minority who does not fear death. That is our future, and that is a direct result of this science. Direct result of this science. Pseudoscience, hmm, right? It's a direct result of this science. The Tower of Babel. If as one people who speak the same language can accomplish this, then nothing will be impossible for them. Nothing they imagine to do will be impossible for them. Notice the key is to speak the same language. The collective unconscious of man was split apart and it spoke different languages. It's taken so many thousands of years since then to bring mankind back together and its collective unconscious is coming back together right now. Do you know how I know? Because mankind is once again speaking the same language. Have you not noticed? Do you know what language we're speaking? It came out in the 90s, right? Hypertext markup language, the internet. The internet itself is the new Tower of Babel. And because of the internet, we're able to have these discussions and mankind is rapidly learning. And it is able, right now, everyone is coming together. Everyone is communicating with each other. And once again, the consciousness of man and the, uh, the collective unconscious of man is coming together. Anything is possible for this consciousness of man. And then as a result, 
We're going to see some amazing things very soon. Ego hacking, singularity, sentient AI, immortality. The same thing that the folks who built the Tower of Babel were searching after, immortality. The same thing that the Atlanteans were searching after, immortality. What happens to our race when we start doing the same? What happens to us? Is happening a third time in our ancient history, right? What happens to us when this happens, huh? Will we also be held accountable? Will we also be judged? This is why it is so important that, you know, anyone understands you have to make a choice. It's either about doing what is expedient and following that transhumanist call or doing what is meaningful and not succumbing to fear of death and instead focusing on bringing about higher quality of life for our race so that everyone can lead and live a complete life such that upon death they have no fear of death. But those who are afraid, those who are afraid, they'll make the wrong decision and they will become the undead. And the day will come when they will seek death, but they will not find it. Imagine that kind of hell. And of course, they're also subservient to that system, slaves to that system forevermore. Is that really what you want for yourself and your children? Death is a gift, folks. Death is a gift. We literally are playing with fire. This is the source code. This is everything. This is where we come from. This is where our psyches come from. Does God exist? Hmm? Does God really exist? Yeah. The source. The source of all of our cognition. It's there. It exists. Well, if God exists, then why are we in pain? Why are we suffering? Let me tell you something, folks. Why are we suffering? Because... We're suffering so that we understand the nature of life, so that we understand the nature of love. How can you love somebody if you are not loved first? You need to understand loss. You need to understand pain in order for you to have pleasure. Why should we be spoiled children and be given love and pleasure from the get-go as children? Remember the allegory of the cave? Our race needs to grow. We need to be outside of the cave. If we're in the cave, we're not going to grow, and then we're still in chaos. Do we want to be living in chaos, or do we want to be living? Do we want to be living? To be living, you need to be in the yang, folks. And yes, that comes with pain because growth hurts, and there's a lot of pain out there. We are shaped, molded by the heat and pressure and agony of life so that we become diamonds, but we're still uniquely flawed. Why are we flawed? Because we're incomplete, because we are just one puzzle piece one puzzle piece of the source, one piece of the source. And because we are one piece of the source, we are incomplete and lacking much. But when you bring the human race together, we all of a sudden become complete. How many times have I heard people with the golden pairs say, he completes me, she completes me. There's a reason for that. That relationship is wholly complete and not lacking anything, folks. That's what that means. And that's what you can have. Ego hack. Learn how to ego hack. Diamonds are created from suffering. It makes us precious. It makes us beautiful. It makes us desirable as a race. It makes us worthy, folks. Our suffering makes us worthy. Do not take for granted your pain of life. 
Do not take it for granted. I don't want anyone to take my painful memories away. I want to remember them all so that I can move forward as a result of my pain, as a result of my suffering. Because my suffering is why I'm even here right now talking to you about this science and these metaphysical concepts. Trying to create a better world. Trying to guide you, the viewer, towards the meaningful decision so you can escape the clutches and the slavery and the hell that is the expedient. Do not make that deal with the devil. It is the Faustian deal, I promise. You can also learn more about this in Season 16, Episode 8, where I discuss the demon function. It's no wonder that the exact following episode is Season 17, Episode 1, and we're discussing the rest of that discussion right now. It's no wonder that's what it's for. Why do we need to suffer? How can we become diamonds? Let me tell you something. What is the one thing that our race is for? What is the one thing? Why do we exist? What is our purpose? What is our purpose as a race? I will tell you right now what our purpose as a race is collectively. It is to love. There's nothing greater than love. Love is everything. But how can you love if you do not have wisdom, if you do not have humility, if you're not able to forgive people? Wisdom and humility are everything. Wisdom plus humility equals forgiveness equals Love, right? Wisdom plus humility. Oh, wait a minute. A yin and yang equilibrium. Wisdom and humility. Interesting. Interesting how that works. Forgiveness and love. Oh, a yin and yang equilibrium. Interesting. And they equate to each other. Interesting. Because you can't have one with the other. And they're like a mega yin and yang. Interesting. In full equilibrium, primary and secondary on both sides. Our race's purpose is to love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, you have to understand your neighbor's type in order to treat them to them and hold them accountable to them such that hopefully they would hold you accountable to you. I'm an ENTP. I'm freaking rare. I wish people would be okay with me being an ENTP for once, especially you censors who make 70% of the population. And yet you continue to insist putting people like me underneath your boot and calling us weird because we make up the minority such that those who are not afraid of death are the minority. How about you love your neighbor as yourself, folks? Understand each other, ego hack each other, gain understanding, help your neighbor, love them. You cannot love them until you love yourself first, which means you have to understand which puzzle piece you are specifically and understand the puzzle pieces of your own children as we will be discussing in season 17. Very important. But I can't discuss how children get their cognition without first discussing the source and the source code of everything. You have to understand the basic template for everything, all of reality, all of creation, so you can find out which of the puzzle pieces you are, and that becomes you, the child, the person, the human, the being. Love. Love for the day is near. I keep saying that. It's not about the end of the world. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your death. Death is coming. Death is inevitable. Even those who choose the expedient route, eventually it will claim them. They'll just prolong themselves into some undead hell, a slave world. Eventually. 
You don't want that, right? Well, then don't be afraid of death. Love for the day is near because your death is coming. Because the only thing that you could take with you when you die is your relationships with other people, folks. Be careful. Love each other. You can't love anyone unless you forgive them. You can't forgive them unless you understand them. You can't understand them unless you have the wisdom and the humility in order to understand them. Humble yourselves. Understand who you are. Understand who they are. And judge them accordingly, folks. Don't be afraid. These things have to come to pass. Don't be afraid. The world will be split into two factions. Those who will do the expedient and those who will do the meaningful. Those who fear death and those who do not. It is inevitable. It is our future. The science itself coming out right now, its existence and leading to ego hacking and singularity and sentient AI and ultimately immortality. This is the future for our race. Mark my words. It is coming. I see it all the time. It plagues me all the time with my extrovert intuition hero. This is what's coming for us folks, but that's okay. All you have to do is recognize that you as a human being, a fellow human being, you have a choice. Make the right choice. Do what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Understand where you come from. And then because you understand where you come from, you can understand where you're going. You can understand at last where you're going. You can understand where your fellow man is going and you can help them get there. And that's what we're going to talk about because we're going to talk about raising children in the next episodes. We're going to talk about where their cognition forms and where it comes from and how it develops, how it manifests, how it grows, how it advances. And you will be able to guide those people, those children in the right direction because you know yourself and you're going to judge them according to their own standard, their own type, their own soul, their own mind, and who they are, instead of expecting every single person to be like you. Because for some reason, people by default judge people based on their own mind and their own standard. Well, he's not responsible like me, so he's obviously an idiot. Or they judge people by their polar opposite, because they're trying to become their polar opposite. And they want to learn more from their polar opposite so they can become their polar opposite. Or they judge people based on who they're most compatible with through their unconscious. Wow, they could be like really compatible for me. Maybe I could fall in love with them, right? That's how people judge each other instead of reaching an understanding of their fellow man and that person's point of view, that person's cognition. They don't even bother to go that far. Stop being ignorant. Wake up. Humble yourselves. Gain wisdom, please. Understand each other so that you could forgive each other. And then as a result of forgiving each other, you can love everyone. If everyone forgives each other, then, I mean, all of mankind will be brought together. All of mankind will be free because everyone will be loved. Everybody. Because everybody loves somebody. Even the people that have wronged you, someone loves them or someone did love them. And when mankind comes together completely in the future, and it's as if God is looking upon the face of the earth itself and all of mankind united as one is looking back at him like a mirror because all the cognition represented in God 
is represented in the people. Because if it's one people who are able to accomplish all of this and they speak the same language, then nothing that they set out to do will be impossible for them. If you found this lecture useful, helpful, educational, enlightening, please subscribe to the channel here on YouTube. Uh, leave a like while you're at it or a comment. Uh, if you uh, want to get involved on our private premium content, including private lectures, we're doing romantic compatibility right now. Please subscribe to us on Patreon Gold Tier. Uh, we're going to be having another episode releasing very soon for that. I believe it's going to be the uh, fifth golden pair. And I think it is the, uh, I think it's the ESFJ and the ISFP is the next one, uh, which is pretty cool. We only have four more episodes to go in the Golden Paris before we move on to uh, the next uh, a season that will be made available on Patreon private as well. Uh, also, if you want to get in our Q&A sessions, uh, join our Discord server. You can find uh, links below to bring you to our website so you can figure out how to get on our Discord server. Please get on our Discord server, and uh, as a result of that, uh, get your questions in. We'll answer them in our Q&A sessions. Uh, that would be fantastic to have you. Also, our meetup group, which is active in the Bay Area. It's going to be active in Sacramento in the very uh, near future as well. Uh, so just be aware of that. That's going to be great. Um, I'm preparing um, some plenty of things too. Um, so that was a very fiery lecture, and I'm sure this is going to be a very uh, controversial one because it's a little bit longer and has a lot of interesting content in it, a lot of metaphysical stuff, but it is what it is. I have to tell the truth regardless of the consequences. Please understand that, folks. Um, it's just who I am, and it's what I have to do. I'm, I'd rather tell the truth instead of, uh, you know, change it up a little bit for the sake of you know additional subscribers or more numbers and audience because that's not who I am. I am here to tell the facts regardless if it hurts me or not. That's just the fact. You know why? Because the truth is a double-edged sword. It comes out of your mouth, right? And it cuts other people and it cuts the user as well. That's why I can't be a hypocrite. But guess what, folks? Just like you, so am I. I am a hypocrite and I'm so sorry for my hypocrisy. But sometimes, just like all the rest of us, I can't help it. And instead, I have to focus on my personal growth in as much as you yourselves also must be focusing on your personal growth as well. Understand yourselves, understand each other, so you could forgive each other and love one another. So that you, as a result of loving one another, each of you can have a complete life, a high quality of life, so that you will not make the deal with the devil and make the expedient decision, but you will actually make the meaningful decision. For the sake of our race and the sake of the world to come, because the millennials have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. The choice is to determine if we're going to go in the expedient route or the meaningful route. And the choice needs to be made, made now. And that's why I'm here to convey that message to you. So anyway, fantastic talking with you. Uh, got plenty more lectures to do out of my pool of 1,400 of them. So I'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a good night.